who's excited to see the guys tonight? Good time to be out. Really glad to have you guys out. And thank you for those of us who uh, have the honor of uh, also having you join us online. It's a, it's a real honor. And this is a highlight of the week for me. I'm here because I love it. And you guys are a priority. And it's just really exciting and encouraging. And uh, if you're a new guy, welcome. Welcome. You found your guys. You found your team. You found your tribe. And what I tend to do, I do long sermons on Sunday. So if you want a long sermon, I'll see you on Saturday or Sunday. Preach a long sermon. And then I take a little section of that scripture. And we're in Romans right now. And uh, this is really a leadership lecture for men. Uh, how to lead yourself, if you're married, your family, or if you're a dad or a grandpa or a business leader, or a ministry leader. And uh, what we're going to do, we're going to just spend a little bit of time in Romans 2, and I'm going to talk about the difference between a critic and a coach. And I think this is a super important modeling that uh, Paul gives us. And I'll, I'll start with a story. I, I love baseball. I was a big fan of baseball, and I wasn't very good at it, which is why I have this job. But I really love baseball. And uh, as a kid, I always had this dream of trying to letter my freshman year in high school. And I was a pitcher and a catcher. I had a good arm and I'm thick enough to block something. So I pitched and caught. And so I made the varsity team as a freshman at a big high school. And our team made it into the playoffs. And then they made it into the semifinal round. And uh, our starter kind of ran out of gas. It was a really tight game. Felt like the stadium was full, fans, a lot of noise, volume. Coach comes, grabs me. I'm like 15 years old or something. Freshman, I don't have my license yet. And he's like, all right, I need you to go in. It was like two or three guys on, bases loaded, like no outs, something like that. And he's like, I need you to go in as the middle reliever and I need you to get us out of this jam. I think we're up by one. Uh, so then we can get the ball to the, to the closer. And I'm like, okay. Well, I'm scared to death because all these other guys are 18. They got beards and, and they've got cars. And I mean, they're grown men. So I get up and I'm warming up and I'm, I'm nervous. Literally, I went to get the ball and I'm like, oh heck, I'm nervous. And then all of a sudden in the other dugout, they started yelling at me. He's a freshman, he's scared. He's never done this before. And I'm thinking, that's all true. That's all true, right? Like this, these are not false prophets. These are real prophets. Like this is all true. And so then my coach came out. He could see that I'm really nervous. Like I'm, I'm a little freaked out. And he walked out and he put an arm around me and he turned me away from the critics in the other dugout. And he said, uh, you're probably nervous because you've never been this, done this before. I said, yeah. He said, you know, you probably wonder if you can do this because you're just a freshman. He said, but, but you can do this. He said, the reason I'm giving you the ball is you're ready for this. And he said, just take deep breaths. And he coached me along. He said, just focus on the glove and just do your job. I am confident you're going to do this. And he coached me up. And in that moment, I literally had in one ear, all the critics and in the other ear, my coach. And so what I decided was, okay, I'm going to believe my coach and I'm going to ignore my critics. One, two, three, got out of the inning. Um, Everything went good by the grace of God and I didn't get shelled and the closer came in and closed it out. The point is that constantly as a man in your life, there's a critic in one ear, there's a coach in the other, okay? And the Holy Spirit, he functions like a coach. Satan functions like a critic. And the key is, as men, as we're leading, we've got to decide, are we going to be the critic or the coach in someone else's ear? When we speak, are they gonna, is it gonna be like, you know, the Lord coaching us up or is it gonna be like the enemy criticizing us and beating us down. And so what I wanna talk about is the difference between a critic and a coach because the difference between a critic and a coach is not what they see, it's what they say. So in that moment, even as a 15 year old kid, right? My critic and my coach are seeing the same thing but they're saying different things. 
The critic is hoping to use it to destroy me. The coach is wanting to help me to overcome this situation that I find myself in. I'll say this for us as men, the most powerful people in our lives are the critics and the coaches. The most influential, powerful people in our life are the critics who have criticized us. Some of you had a real critical, judgmental dad, or maybe you had a really heavy-handed grandpa, or maybe you were in sports and athletics, but the coaches were really iron-fisted and heavy-handed, or on the job at work, it just feels like you live under a guillotine all the time, a lot of criticism, as well as the coaches. The people that we tend to open our ear to and we tend to listen to are those that have more of a coaching spirit and disposition, and they're trying to build us up. They're not trying to beat us down. So I'm gonna compare and contrast these as leadership lessons. The first we'll deal with a critic, uh, Romans chapter two, verse one. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. So this judgmental attitude, it is the attitude of a critic. What does a critic do? They just judge. So the person that's judgy, judgmental, long, longs to judge, uh, they're a critic. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So what he's talking about here with the critic is number one, part of what creates a spirit of criticism, they're always the one judging, they're never the one to be judged. Okay, so think back on your dad. How many of you had a dad that he was always judging, but nobody ever got to judge him? He was always gonna talk about your stuff, you could not talk about his stuff, okay? So part of what happens when we become a critic is that we are always the judge, we're never judged. And sometimes what happens is a guy can grow up in a more judgmental, critical culture. This can be a family system or a business environment or a ministry environment. And he just bides his time until one day I get to be the one who's judging everybody else. Okay, another point um, is the way it works with a, a person who is judgmental and critical, law for you, grace for me. Okay, law for you, meaning here's all the things you did wrong. Well, you did some things wrong too. Well, you know, hey, Bible says don't judge, you know? And so it's how many, how many of you, you're raising this kid. If you're a dad, you're gonna have this kid. What they're gonna want is they're gonna wanna have law for you and grace for them, or they're gonna want law for their sibling and grace for them. This happens all the time when you're parenting, you're like, Johnny hit me. Okay, well then let's deal with Johnny's like, well, grace for me, law for them. We, we all, when we have this spirit of criticism and judgment, we want people to give us grace, but we're not gonna give them grace. We wanna judge them, but we don't want them to judge us. This is how we get into that position of a critic. And then what he says here is you have no excuse. What he's saying is uh, the spirit of criticism and this disposition of critic, it is, uh, it, is, it is constantly, and some of you have lived under this. You've lived under this with a dad. You've lived under this with a boss. For some of you, I hate to say it, it's even your own wife. It's just this spirit of a critic and it is this constant judgment. And when we take that position, it's punishment for you, excuses for me. Right, that's what he's talking about here. You have no excuse. Because you're, you're judging everyone else and then you're excusing yourself. Okay, true or false, we don't like being in these kinds of environments. As men, do we like being criticized? Judged? No, no, but here's what we do. We create those environments for other people. Our wives, our kids, our coworkers, our friends, people on our team, in our ministry. So what he's talking about here is looking at our own heart, our own disposition and the culture that we're creating. Some of the ways that guys become this way, this critic, 
there's the religious guy. The religious guy likes to make a lot of rules and judge people by his rules, and his rules often aren't God's rules. They're his rules, but because he uses a lot of God language, he tries to give the impression that his rules are God's rules. These are the religious guys. In addition, there is a critical spirit that comes from guys who are more from a jock sports background, right? And it's performance and it's punishment and it is ultimately about results. Some of you are more religious. You're gonna be sort of critical and judgy. Some of you are more jockish and you're just like, I'm just gonna tell them what they did wrong and push them because I think we can get more out of them. And some of you come from more of a military mindset which is not, just so you know, the military is very effective, but it's not a grace-based environment. Just so you know that, it's not a grace-based environment. It's not like, how are you doing emotionally? Can we pray for you? That's not really, that's not the end zone they're driving toward. And what I'm telling you is what will work perhaps in business or what will perhaps work in sports or what will perhaps work in the military is going to destroy your marriage and your relationship with your kids and your home life. Because Sometimes in those environments, men can criticize one another, but fight through it. But if you're the critic in your environment, your wife can't live under a spirit of criticism. Your kids can't live under a spirit of criticism. And as a result, you'll be creating an environment that really is an unhealthy one. And you're gonna find yourself being very lonely because eventually people just sort of avoid you. And so the way this works for male critics, guys who, love to be in authority, but don't like to be under authority. So this, what happens to a man who is a judger and a critic, he likes the power of being in authority, doesn't like to be under authority. Loves to tell the wife and the kids what to do, but good luck telling that guy anything. In addition, what happens with these guys, uh, they rarely, if ever, say that they're wrong or sorry. Right? Because again, it's law for you, grace for me, Punishment for you, excuses for me, power and authority for me, punishment and consequence for you. So if you grew up in an environment where dad never said things like, I'm wrong, it was my fault, I'm sorry, then he became a critic and he set a critical environment. And the way that we break the critical environment is by starting by judging ourselves starting by evaluating ourselves, starting by criticizing ourselves so that we're not hypocrites. Because what he ultimately says is, a man who is judgmental and critical eventually is hypocritical. A critical man eventually becomes a hypocritical man, okay? Now, how many of you, your dad told you to not do things and then he did them? How many of you, your dad would bust you for stuff and then you found out he had a secret private life where there was all kinds of stuff going on. And then you lose all respect for him and all authority for him. So let me ask you a couple questions. Um, who in your life has been the most dominant critic? In your present life and season, who's the loudest voice insofar as a critic goes? Um, and then let me ask you this, who, if I asked them that question, they would name you, okay? Because here's what I know, when we're being criticized, we're very aware of that and tender toward that. When we're criticizing others, we tend to be unaware of that and not tender toward that. 
I am the guy with the critical eye. Just be real honest with you. I can walk in and tell you what's wrong. I can walk into a room and tell you, oh, the drywaller didn't get the tape right there. There's a seam. I'm that guy. I can walk into an organization. I can walk into a book, a theological argument. I'm the guy with the critical eye and I'll always find the problem. And it almost broke my wife in the early years of our marriage. She would try so hard and then I would come in and rather than having an attitude of gratitude and thanking her and coaching her and encouraging her, I would start with what? The one thing wrong. Hmm, dinner's late, house is a wreck, kids are thrown up. She's like, yeah, I know, I need help. I don't need a critic, I need help. I have five kids, you keep getting me pregnant. You know, this is kind of your fault. You've kind of created this dilemma. And what I found was my wife was nervous around me because even if I wasn't saying anything, she could just tell by the way I was looking, just sort of surveying that sort of critical eye. And it caused her to be very discouraged because living with me, I didn't understand this at the time, she felt like there were two categories, perfect and a failure. Okay? And as a result, even if she was doing everything perfect, she knew at some point something was gonna be imperfect. And then she felt like for me, I was putting her in the category of failure. So for her, it was constantly feeling like she's digging out of a hole, but eventually she's gonna fall back into it, okay? And I didn't really understand that I was a critic until we started having kids. And once we started having kids, I started coaching the kids in a way that I would criticize my wife. So my wife would get criticism from me, my kids would get coaching. So rather than sort of discouraging them, I would encourage them. So I would love them and bless them and pray for them and put an arm around them and literally get down and just like a coach, literally, hey, let's talk about this and I think you could do better and let me help you with this and let me help you with that. And here's what my wife told me one day, she said, I said, is there anything I can do for you? She said, yeah can you just put me in the same category as the kids? I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you criticize me. She basically said, but you coach them. She said, I, I would really love it if I got coached instead of criticized. And it was a devastating moment in our relationship because literally I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart and just said, Mark, think about what it would be like if you were married to you. Okay, then I threw up and passed out. And uh, that's a terrible date night. Two of me is a terrible date night. And then I started thinking about it. Um, what if some guy married my daughter and did this to her? Was just sort of always criticizing her, finding fault, pointing out problems. Me and that guy would not get along well. <laughs> and I'd be doing prison ministry from the inside. That's how it would go. <laughs> and so all of a sudden I realized that the, the greatest critic in my wife's life is me. That if Satan, Revelation 12, 10, if Satan is the accuser of the children of God, he accuses them day and night, right after Satan, I'm the greatest critic in her life. And it just devastated me, it broke me. Because I, I really do love grace with all my heart but I had a critical disposition and attitude. And so then I asked Grace, so I, I got defensive. I don't know if you guys have ever done this or it's just, is it just me? Uh, I got defensive and I was like, well, I do love you and I'm trying to help. 
you know, that's always the male comeback. She's like, yeah, but you're not helping. Well, that seems very judgy. She's like, I'm judging the judgy ones. Like, yeah, I'm kind of in a corner here. Got myself in a pickle. And I said, honey, okay, what can I do differently? She said, when you see something, help me improve. Don't just point out what I didn't do right, but help me to do it right. Is that fair? It is. Because I'll tell you what I did too in being a critic in relationship with Grace. And I didn't mean to tell you any of this. I'm just verbal processing. Don't tell Grace. I disclosed all of our private marital details. But um, (laughs) here's what happened. Who do you think became the greatest critic in my life? Grace did. Because I created a culture of criticism in our relationship, marriage, and home. And so as I'm criticizing her, what's she going to do to me? Criticize me because I'm the leader, I've set the culture, I've set the example. So finally, one day I looked at her and I said, I said, honey, you're the most critical person in my life. And she said, well, that, that's how I feel, okay? And at that time, if we didn't make that pivot, I don't know if we would be married. Because one critic and another critic just constantly taking turns criticizing one another, it's impossible to have a loving relationship. It's impossible to work through issues. It's impossible to have a healthy environment. And quite frankly, it's not a place that kids wanna be. How many of you grew up in that home where mom and dad are just always criticizing one another and you're like, just get me out. I don't even wanna be here because I don't wanna hear this. And secondly, I don't want them to both turn on me. Because if he's a critic and she's a critic, I gotta go. Because if they turn like two barrels on a gun and start to criticize me as a kid, that's a devastating place to be, okay? And here's what I would tell you. All men are to varying degrees, varying ways, varying times, a critic. And we gotta be very careful with the people and things in our life that as we see something, it's not what we see, it's what we say. And what he's talking about here is making excuses for being judgmental and critical. And we tend to do that. Now, immediately, some of you men who are defensive, and and there's two kinds of men, defensive men and dead men, right? So those are the two kinds of men. So if you're alive, you're somewhat defensive. Some of you will push back and your instinct will be, well, if there's a problem, am I not supposed to say or do something? Am I just supposed to be passive? Am I not supposed to do something? What's the answer? Yeah, you're supposed to coach. Don't criticize, coach. So that's where he goes next is uh, Romans 2, 4 on a coach. He speaks of God being like a coach with us, okay? So God is a father. He's not just a critic of us. He's a coach to us, okay? The riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience is meant to lead you to repentance. So God does lead and God does see problems. When it says repentance, what it's saying is that God sees a problem and he wants it to change. But the way he addresses it is not as a critic, but more as a father who is a coach, okay? And so a couple of words here, the kindness, what this means that there is, um, there's a helpfulness, okay? Does a critic wanna help you? No. Do they seek your best? No. The kindness here is they they care for you and they're there for you and they want to help you. Okay, there's a a genuine helpfulness. Um, I learned this with one of my sons. 
uh, when he was little, if, if I just criticized him, it was a fight. He was little, but he was my son, and it was gonna be a good fight, okay? And so what I finally realized is if I stand back and just tell him, hey, you didn't do that right, he would, he would rise up on me. So what I learned was I needed to start by literally approaching him and physically rubbing his back when he's a little guy or getting down on his level, making sure my disposition was calm, didn't raise my voice, smile, I love you, I'm for you. Of all the people on planet earth, your dad is first in line, I'm for you, okay? He recently uh, got engaged, now he's super tall. So to look him in the eye, to connect at the heart level, I get a steps to him, like, I love you, you're my boy. So, but he, it, was, it was really cool what he told me recently. He said, dad, I love you. He said, thanks for being my dad. And he said, uh, my whole life, I've always known that of everybody on the earth, you were the first person who was for me, okay? And had I, not, um, had I not really done some damage to my relationship with his mom that she forgave me of and we healed from, I would have been the worst critic of my son, not the best coach to my son. Because helpfulness is about how can I help you? A critic is just about how you frustrate me. To me, a critic is very selfish. Knock it off, stop, just quit. That's not coaching, that's criticizing. And it's not helping them, it's just that they're frustrating you, okay? So that's what he means by kindness. And sometimes you could tell this in the body language. How many of you, your dad didn't need to say anything. You just got that look and you realize, I'm gonna die. And you're like, I'm gonna die. This is, this is, this is the end for me. Um, your dad gives you that look or he purses his lip or he raises his voice or he approaches you, or he puts his finger in your chest. That's all what critics do, not what coaches do. That's what you do to beat somebody down, not to build somebody up. When he talks about this kindness, it's helpfulness. Forbearance is this, patiently working through a problem, okay? How many of you guys, you get tired, you're frustrated. At work, you're dealing with problems all day. The more responsibility you have at work, the more problems and burdens you carry home. And you can almost feel like when you're dealing with your wife or you're dealing with your kids, or you're dealing with your coworkers, or you're dealing with your friends, or you're dealing with your ministry partners. Hey, I don't have time and energy for this. You just need to get your crap together. I don't have time and energy for this. That's not kindness, I'm here to help and it's not patience. I'm here to walk through a process with you. I want you to move at my timeline because you're an annoyance to me. That third word, uh, patience, um, literally means calm, level-headed, emotionally steady. The opposite of this is threatening. Hey, look, you better do X or Y will happen. And you can tell because the voice goes up. And what this is, this is threats and this is fear and this is punishment and this is control and patience is emotionally steady. So, and as men, let me say this, we've all got triggers, right? We've all got triggers. If your wife says the right thing, like every wife has learned the, how to pick the code to break in 
to your frustration, and they've all got that code, she knows if I say this, boom, he goes off like a bottle rocket. My trigger um, is being, just so you know, and don't, please don't test me, just take my word. Um, I really don't like being slapped in the face. <laughs> Amen? Okay, so I'll never forget one time, I, I won't tell you which son, he's doing great now, but uh, <laughs> I literally got down like this and I looked him in the eye and I said, buddy, I love you. I'm here to help, man. I'm your dad. And he just went, <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Please save my son from death. Uh, you know, so in that moment, what he's doing is he's testing, okay? And he's little. And I'm thinking, okay, first of all, I don't get slapped in the face. Second of all, if so, he should be larger than me, you know, so that at least... At least I have a good reason for getting slapped in the face. This kid's like 40 pounds and he's, he's giving me the stink eye and slapped me in the face in front of his mom, which just means I got dethroned as head of the household <laughs> by a kid with a sippy cup. So we, we've, not, we've got an inversion in the org chart at the Driscoll house. And uh, patience is emotionally steady and just know this, it's going to be tested. Okay? And you can say, no, I'm very level-headed until they say or do that. That's the test. And um, in that moment, I really sought to just maintain emotional self-control because what my boy didn't understand at that moment was he was trying to make me his brother because if he slaps me and I respond angrily, I've just gotten out of my position of father and I've come down to his level as brother. And what he needs in that moment is not a brother to fight with, he needs a father to lead him, okay? So if I start yelling at him or if I get physical with him, which I did not, I now am no longer the father, I'm the brother. How many of your kids, they, they push your buttons, they drive you crazy, and then you get emotional, and now you're like a brother, you're not like a father, okay? Which means you can't lead them, here's why. Who's leading? They are, and you're following them. They've just set the temperature, tone, and emotional direction of what's happening in that moment. If you wanna be the leader, part of it is emotional steadiness, fruit of the spirit, self-control, because people are gonna try and get you frustrated so that you lose your position of leadership and authority. Now, I'm way off my notes, not that I have any, but I'll just, I'll just tell you what comes to mind. Some of you, this is why your wives will find ways to get you angry or frustrated or emotional, because you lose your position of leadership and all of a sudden there's an inversion in the relationship, okay? So as men, you say, well, I wanna be the leader. Well, then you need to be the emotionally consistent one. You need to be the adult in the room. And that's what he's talking about with this language of patience. Um, and then he talks about repentance, that ultimately, if there is kindness, forbearance, and patience, the end zone you're driving for is repentance. And what repentance is, change. 
Now, usually as men, when we're frustrated with somebody, we don't want them to change. We want them to lose. Am I, is it just me? Or am I, we want them to lose. And what God wants them is to change. Okay. So the, the goal is not to, to bring them to a position whereby they surrender to you, but a position whereby they surrender to him. And this repentance, it's a change of mind, it's a change of heart, it's a change of action. It's, yeah, I was wrong, yeah, I need to change. Because here's what happens for a man when we lack kindness, forbearance, and patience, we don't leave room for the Holy Spirit to come in and to change the heart and to bring true change at the deepest level of repentance. Okay? I'll give you an example. My poor son, I didn't know he was gonna be all my illustrations tonight, and I really love him when we're doing good. But there was, uh, there was one day, um, he was really little. And let me ask you this, what's the difference between a terrorist and a really, a really angry little boy? Size, that's the only difference between a terrorist and a really angry little boy, size. He would do jihad if he had a license and he could go get some supplies. So, so this little boy of mine, he, he had declared war on his mom all day. I walked in the door and I could see she is a prisoner of war. She has had, she has had, she, she just, she's just like, she just looks like she's been in prison all day. And I was like, honey, what's wrong? She's like, oh. And I look over at him, he is raring to go. He's like, ooh, he's raring to go. He's good for 30 rounds, mom is tapped out. And so I was like, okay, little buddy, what did you do today? And, and she's like, he's just been terrible, man. He's your son, you know, he's terrible. So I walk over to him and I'm like, hey buddy, let's talk about this. He's like, nah, dude just blew me off, little guy. I'm like, wait, come back, I'm your dad. He's like, I don't care. Oh boy, okay. So I said, okay, little buddy, here's what I'm gonna do. Uh, I'm gonna pray for you. So I go to pray for him and he does this and takes my hands off. He's like, I don't need to be prayed for. Oh boy, okay, I'm, I'm raising a Bin Laden. I've got a, I've got a real defiant little one on my hands. So I went to hug him and pray over him. And uh, he started assaulting me, beating, I mean, beating, beating on me. And I, he was testing me. I'm holding, I'm like, okay, Lord. This is my son. I love him with all my heart. I don't know why he's so frustrated today. Lord, I know you've got a good future for him. I thank you that I get to be his dad. I pray that he would calm down. I literally just prayed over him for a long time while he is beating the heck out of me. And then um, finally he stopped beating on me. And then he started crying. And then I, he looked at me, he's like, dad, I love you, I'm sorry. He repented. And what happened in that moment was I needed the Holy Spirit to change his heart because I couldn't get to it. I mean, I'm bigger than him, so I can, you know, I can put him in his room, um, but I can't change his heart. And what God is saying here is that ultimately he wants us to treat others, especially our wives and kids, the way that he treats us. And the way that God deals with you and with me is not as a critic, but as a coach. 
He's not yelling from a distance, but he's not, but he is drawing near. And even if you're beating on him, he's gonna love you and pray for you until the Holy Spirit changes your heart. Okay. And so part of what I think happens in the life of a man and why it becomes hard for him to be a coach instead of a critic is because honestly, many of you have never had a coach. All you've had is critics. You need to know that God is a father and he is not a critic, he is a coach. He's not standing back, he's drawing near. He's not just yelling at you, he's helping you. He's not trying to punish you, he's trying to instruct you. He is for you, not against you. You're not a frustration or an annoyance to him. You're a son and a blessing to him, okay? And once you get the father's heart for you, then you get the father's heart for others. Which means when you see something, it's not that you don't respond to it, but what you say is totally different. Am I making any sense? Okay. I want you to think about the people in your life that right now, they see you as their critic. What is it, what is it like to come into that relationship and say, I'm gonna put on the coach hat and I'm gonna take off the critic hat, okay? With my wife, with my kids. And I got a little compared. So a critic, non-relational. Do you need to have a relationship with a critic? No. He's post on social media, yell at somebody, send off an email, do a, you know, 360 review at work. It's just easy. There's, there's no relationship. A coach, do you need to have a relationship with a coach? Yeah, coach is literally the one that comes and puts an arm around you. They literally have a relationship with it. A critic, their intent is to harm you. I'm gonna find what's wrong so that I can harm you. A coach, their goal is to help you. It's very different, okay? A critic, the goal is perfection. They're just going to keep criticizing until you're perfect, which means they're gonna criticize everything forever. We tend to walk away from these relationships because they're just exhausting. For a coach, the goal is progress. Hey. You learned something, you changed something, you did something. I'm proud of you, keep going, build on that momentum. So a coach isn't demanding perfection, what they are is they're encouraging progress. Uh, a critic, they're really just gonna beat you down. I mean, emotionally, it's totally discouraging, it's totally defeating, it's, it's totally deflating. For a coach, they're gonna build you up. Even, and the best coaches do their best work after you fail. After you blow it, the coach comes in like, okay, that was rough. Hey man, here, here's what we can do next time. Let's, let's fix that. I'm gonna give you another shot. You know, there is a future. This is not the end. A good coach does their best work at the worst failure. And a critic does their greatest damage at the biggest failure. A critic is gonna make it very, their correction is gonna be very public. A coach, their correction is gonna be private. Here's what I tell my team all the time. Good news can be communicated publicly. Bad news gets communicated privately. Good news can be emailed. Bad news needs to be face-to-face -face or on the phone, okay? Because ultimately, let's say you're in a family environment where you criticize in front of other people. What do the other people start doing then? criticizing, then what do you create? An entire culture of criticism. And, so, and sometimes then those families, they literally end up being like you're living in a Comedy Central roast. 
Somebody takes a shot, somebody else takes a shot, you fire up the carnival music, and it's just criticism. And for some people, this is why the holidays are so hard. You're like, I get together with my family and oh, it's just criticism, man. We're, we're complaining about people and things and each other, and we're digging up the past and we're talking about all of our failures and it's horrifying. And so what happens with a critic, you run from them. If it's a coach, you run to them, especially when you're in a critical moment or a, a hard moment or a difficult moment or a failure or a big decision. Let's say you're, you're needing to figure something out. How many of you are not gonna go to your critics looking for your advice? Now they would like to, they're like, oh, I'll tell you what to do. And you're like, yeah, I'm not going to you. A coach, what's the difference between a critic and a coach? A critic is someone literally you will run from, you will avoid them. This is why if your wife is the biggest critic in your life, this is why you stay late at work. This is why you stop off for a drink on the way home. You're like, I'm in no hurry to get there. If it's a coach, that's the person you run to. You're like, you're gonna help, I need help, please help. You're not gonna eviscerate me, you're gonna encourage me. You're, 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 gonna, you're gonna help me be better, get better, do better. So you're gonna run to the coach. So here would be my question, gentlemen. How many of you on this spectrum would honestly say that the father that raised you was, how many of you would say your dad was more critic? Okay, okay. How many of you would say my dad was more coach? Okay, so like six of you, okay. Um, so let me, without a show of hands, how many of you, if I asked your wife, is your husband more a critic or a coach? If I asked your kids, is your dad more of a critic or a coach? If I ask your coworkers, is so-and-so more of a critic or a coach? If you're a grandpa, are you more of a critic or a coach? Because as men, what we tend to be very keenly aware of is the unfairness of those who criticize us. Yet as Paul says aptly, there is a hypocrisy because we tend to overlook the ways that we criticize others. Okay? So, and as I say this, I feel like the talk was a little critical, so I apologize for that. <laughs> but what we wanna be as a men's ministry here at Real Men, do we wanna be critics or coaches? Coaches. We don't wanna be those guys, and some of you guys have been in men's ministry, and many of you are new, we're growing like crazy. You get around a table and it's like this harsh accountability. What did you do wrong? Where did you screw up? So who's the biggest loser of the week? And it's just this critical culture. We don't wanna be that culture, we wanna be a coaching culture. How can we help? How can we bless? How can we encourage? How, how can we support? Even if it was a big problem or a mistake, how do, we, how do we help repentance happen? Meaning we're gonna fix that, we're gonna work on that, we're gonna change that. And so you need to know that the hope and the heart of the ministry here is mutual coaching, not mutual criticizing. So these would be my questions for you around the table. Do you see God, especially God the Father, as more a critic or a coach? This is really for a man where it all starts. If you think God is a critic, then you're gonna think it's godly to be a critic. If you think God is always criticizing you, then you're gonna criticize everybody else. 
If you think God is a coach and he coaches you, then you're going to coach other people. So really the key for a man sort of correcting this in his life is understanding God as a loving father coach. Okay. Number two, who have been some of the most helpful coaches in your life? This could be a dad, a sports coach, a music teacher. Uh, this could be a life coach. This could be a coworker. This could be a mentor. This could be somebody that you interned under in business. What are the people that have been the greatest coaches in your life? And what was their deposit that you appreciate most? Uh, number three, who has God placed in front of you to help coach them up? Like right now, who's in front of you? You go, they're very frustrating to me, which may mean they need a coach. May mean they need a coach. This could be a coworker. This could be a kid. This could be a spouse. This could be a sibling. Who needs, who has God put in front of you that what they really need is a coach? And the reason that they're frustrating you is nobody coached them. Number four, do you tend to be more of a critic or more of a coach? Okay. And then how can we pray for you? And I would say as men, and what Paul is talking about in Romans 2, the default is what? To be critical, which eventually is to be hypocritical. The way you become hypocritical is you start by being critical. You judge everyone else until eventually you no longer judge yourself. And so you're guilty of the same things that you're judging everyone else for. That's the cycle of critical hypocritical. The only way out of that is repentance as God coaches you and then coaching others so that they too can repent because the goal is not to beat them down, but to build them up and not to shame them for where they are, but to help them to move beyond where they are. Okay. Does this make sense? Here's what I'm telling you, I'll close with this. If you will go home and put the coach hat on with your wife, if you will go home and put the coach hat on with your kids, if you will go to work and put the coach hat on with your coworkers, right? if, if you will put the coach hat on with your grandkids, I'm just telling you that what you see may not change, but what you say will change and how they respond will change, okay? Father God, it's a heavy talk. Got a lot heavier than I was thinking. Um, but Lord, I think it's because a lot of men in this room have lived under a spirit of judgment and criticism. And I think it's from dads and bosses and military leaders and sports coaches and mentors and stepdads. And, and God, there's just a, there's a lot of criticism. And sometimes there is this belief if we just, criticize the men more, they'll become more. Actually, it doesn't work that way because it's the kindness that leads to repentance. And so Lord, I sense a heaviness in the room and I wasn't expecting it. So Holy Spirit, I wanna, I wanna make mention of that. So Holy Spirit, we pray against the spirit of criticism and we say the Lord rebuke you. And Lord, I feel it in the room and I feel it over some of the men's lives that there has been literally a demonic spirit of criticism. And we know that it doesn't come from you, Holy Spirit. It comes from the enemy. It comes from the accuser of the children of God who accuses them day and night. Revelation 12, 10. And he brings with him condemnation. In Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation in Christ. And so, Lord God, we pray against the spirit of the accuser who is the critic. And we pray against the voices of those who have just accused and criticized these men. 
And Lord God, we ask to hear the voice of the Father who sees the problems that we have. But what he says is very different. He comes to coach us, not criticize us. He comes to draw near to us, not to reject us. He comes to help us, not to harm us. He comes to build us up instead of beat us down. And so God, I'm asking as a father, would you just pour out, pour out a, a spirit of encouragement on these men? Would you take away that spirit of criticism from these men? Would you allow them to be coached by you and your kindness and your forbearance and your patience to lead to their change? And Lord God, would they take that coaching with them to help their wife, to help their kids, to help their coworkers, to help their friends, um, to learn and to grow out of hope and out of love and out of joy, not out of guilt or duty or obligation or burden. And Lord, uh, for those men who have created a critical culture, even in their marriage or with their children, and now it's coming back on them. Now their wife is criticizing them and other kids are criticizing them. God, would we have the ability and humility to repent and to say, I'm sorry, I created this. It is wrong. I need to lead the change. And I want a different culture for my relationships and for my marriage and for my family and for our home. And so Lord, thank you that you are a father who comes to coach and that you're not an enemy who comes to criticize. And Father, I pray you would encourage and strengthen your sons in Jesus' good name. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you.